please stand with me for the call to worship. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, who we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, our Father, thank you for bringing us all into this house of worship today. And I pray that you'll just open our minds and our hearts and our ears um, to the service today, which we can just praise your name. In your name, amen.
you're seated, share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship today. Please uh, note the uh, Thursday prayer emphasis again uh, as we continue in the season of Lent. Uh, the prayer room is open throughout the day of Thursday. You can make reservations to come for an hour or more. And also we have the corporate prayer times at noon, 6 and 10. There's information in the bulletin about those as well as many other things. Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Merciful Lord, you have told us that if we love you, then we are to do so with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. While knowing this command, we confess that instead of living in total surrender, we have resolved to give you just enough. We declare you are Lord with our mouths, but we do not affirm it with our lives. We follow the path of ease and comfort instead of choosing to live in faithful obedience. We hoard all that we can instead of trusting you for our daily bread. We seek vain recognition instead of bringing you glory. Forgive us, Lord, our thoughts, attitudes, and actions that have hindered us and other people from experiencing your great love through Christ. Amen.
The Old Testament reading today comes from Isaiah 51, 17 through 23. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained it to its dregs and the goblet that makes people stagger. Among all the children she bore, there was no children, none to guide her. Among all the children she reared, there was none to take her by the hand. The double calamities have come upon you. Who can comfort you? Run, ruin and destruction, famine and sword. Who can console you? Your children have fainted. They lie at every street corner, like antelope caught in a net. They are filled with the wrath of the Lord, with the rebu- rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear this, you afflicted one, made drunk, but not with wine. This is what your sovereign Lord says, your God, who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that has made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath. You will never drink again. I will put it into the hands of your tormentors, who said to you, Fall prostrate, that we may walk on you. And you made your back like the ground, like a street to be walked on. Please stand and sing the doxologies as the ushers come forward. For these tithes and offerings that are going to be coming to you today. And I pray that you will put it in the hands of people who know how to distribute it in your will. Thank you. In your name, amen.
Father in heaven invites us to pray to him individually and corporately. And as we gather for a time of prayer now, if you'd like to come and use the altar rails, the place where you offer your prayers, please join me. Heavenly Father, we come today feeling so blessed that you, the Almighty One, loves us so much that you invite us to pray to you. As we gather today, there are burdens and needs and concerns in our hearts. There are reasons for us to give thanks and to experience joy. And we lay all of it before you, recognizing your blessings. Father, we pray today for all who are grieving. And we ask for the presence of your spirit to be close and ministering to every grieving heart. We pray for all who are struggling with issues of health. We pray for Beulah Avery, Jill Tyson, Priscilla Waltz, Dick Gould, Vesta Mullen, Bruce Brenneman, Bill Roski, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Isla Shea, Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler, and others who are on our hearts today. We pray for the the burdens we bring today about relationships of our lives. We ask that you will work your grace to repair all that is broken in us and in others. Father, we pray for this world in which we live and we are burdened by countries and people who who live with violence and war and unrest as everyday life. We pray that you will bring peace in the midst of this chaos. We pray for your protection upon those who are most innocent. Lord, we pray for those who are continuing to struggle from the Ebola virus. We ask you to bring an end to this disease and its effects and that you would, you would help those who are struggling. That you would heal all who are ill. And that you would bring restoration to all of the places that this disease has devastated. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are living in enduring persecution for your name. 
Today we're reminded of the needs of the church in Myanmar, China. Think of this church that in the midst of fighting has been the whole church completely displaced. We pray that you will supply their needs. And we pray, Father, that you will will bring such provisions to them that those who are not a part of their fellowship, who have no relationship with you, might see your mercy and grace and open their hearts to you. Father, we pray that you will continue to draw us together in heart and purpose as we continue to worship you. Let the spirit of the cross be upon us in power and in grace for this hour and for every hour. And we ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and the one who so graciously provides us with a model for prayer to teach us how to pray and to unify us in mind and purpose. This prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand for the New Testament reading. Mark 14, 32 to 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. Some people have a difficult time believing that the Bible is God's word. It's truth. There are a lot of people who who would see the Bible the same way they would any other religious book. I mean, the mindset is every religion has their book that tells people how to live out their faith. And, you know, the Hindus have the Bhagavad Gita, the Muslims have the Quran, Christians have the Bible. And they're all the same, they're just different religions, they use different books. We believe that, that the, the Bible is different, that it's not like every other book. And when you begin to compare them, and you can do this with ancient literature or you can do it with modern literature, one of the things that to me proves the validity of the claims that we make about Scripture and the Scripture makes about itself is how Scripture treats its heroes. If I were to write the Bible, if I were to create this document, I would want to present the people who are closest to God in the most favorable light. So everyone would say, wow, they're phenomenal people. Well, let's be like them. But when you read the scriptures, the people who are the heroes of God are presented not just in the very best picture possible, but with complete transparency and honesty. So you have a man like Abraham, obviously, if you read the scriptures, deeply committed to God, being very vulnerable at times. And and not being perfect. You see it in Moses. You see it in David. This man after God's own heart who commits some atrocious sins. It is this honesty about God's people that says to me, who would write that? Who would make that stuff up? It, it's true. And the Bible treats Jesus the same way. We see the humanness of Jesus. We see the vulnerability of Jesus. Not sin, but certainly his vulnerability as a human being. And when we come to this last hour or so before he's arrested and eventually crucified, we see Jesus being honest. And the scripture doesn't try to hide it. Here's Jesus in this moment of crisis coming to prayer, this place, as we said a few weeks ago, this is where the battle takes place. The battle is won or lost here in prayer, in the garden. It's not on the cross. The cross takes place because the battle is won in the garden. But here in this moment, as Jesus prays, what we hear Jesus praying is a completely transparent, honest prayer. And quite frankly, it's a little bit startling. But it's real. Jesus says, Father, I've come to redeem the world. That's why I'm here. I don't want to to remove myself from that. But 
If I don't have to go through all of this, I'd really rather not. You can do all things. Nothing is impossible for you. So how about we change the way we were going to do this? It's a little bit startling to hear Jesus pray that honestly. It's sort of like some of the Psalms that we read that, you know, are hard for us to figure out and they make us uncomfortable. And if we bring non-Christian friends to church, we're just praying and hoping that we don't read one of those Psalms that Sunday. You know, they, they're difficult for us, and, and they make us feel uncomfortable. And here is Jesus praying this honest prayer, I'd really rather not do this. And you think, man, I thought Jesus was more spiritually centered than that. Really? Jesus is not saying, I don't want to, I don't want to be the Savior of the world. Just saying, isn't there another way we could do this, Father? Part of it, I think, is the physical pain that he's, he's sure is going to endure. He knows how the Romans deal with criminals. It's going to be brutal. And who of us wants to go through something like that? Part of it's the emotional pain he's about to experience. He's already had one Disciple, he only had 12. Out of those 12, one of them has already betrayed him. It's about to happen. He just says, here comes my betrayer. One of them, he said, is going to deny even knowing him. And all the others are going to flee from him. And you know how it hurts when somebody you think is your close friend rejects you, turns from you? It's painful. It's devastating. But I'm convinced that the most profound pain of what Jesus is about to endure is feeling the weight of the sins of the world on him. Jesus has never sinned. He doesn't know the way we do guilt and shame and remorse. He has never woken up in the morning regretting what he did the night before. He's never felt like you know, I, I've, I've disobeyed God again. He's going to reject me. I've gone my own way again. God's not going to have anything to do with me. He's never felt the shame that you and I feel because of our sin. And in a few hours, as he hangs on the cross, all of the sins of the world are going to be on him. And he's going to feel that guilt and shame and agony of soul and spirit that he's never experienced before. And I think that's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not that God has indeed forsaken him because he makes it clear he doesn't forsake anyone. But because of the guilt and the shame, and we know this feeling, it feels as though we are separated from God, that he has turned his back on us. He's had enough of us. And Jesus is about to endure that. And he says, Father, you can do all things. Isn't there another way? He prays here about the the cup passing from him. We read from Isaiah 51, a passage that talks about the cup of God's wrath. And that is typically how that word is used throughout the Old Testament. 
it is, the cup was symbolic for the wrath of God on people who are disobedient, who are facing the suffering of, of life and the punishment of God. And Jesus uses that term about this cup, feeling that wrath and anguish of being feeling separated from God. And he's saying, Lord, isn't there an easier way to get to the end we both want? It's not as though he doesn't love the world. He loves the world more than anyone can imagine. Just isn't there a, a shortcut? Isn't there a, a, a better way, an easier way to get to that? In many ways, it's, it's part of the, what's wrapped up in the temptation he faces in the wilderness with Satan. And the evil one comes to him and says, you can turn these stones into bread instead of, take the shortcut, instead of the long way of planting grain and harvesting the wheat and putting it through the process of making bread. Just snap your finger and change it. And you can jump off the temple and see how the Father will save you and rescue you and, and, and be there for you. And you can prove that to be true. Take, take the shortcut instead of the long road of learning what it means to trust the Father that in some way he has to go back and do as a, as a human being. Just do the shortcut way here in a moment. And you can have all the kingdoms of the world if you bow down before me instead of going through what the Father has has asked him to do, what he is, as God is designed to do to get the kingdoms of the world through suffering and through being obedient. We're all about shortcuts. We get that. And here Jesus, as a human being, is saying, Lord, isn't there a shortcut? Isn't there an easier, less painful way? I'm going to be honest with you. I'd really rather find a different way to do this. And I am, as I ponder this, I'm just thinking, it is so amazing to me how honest Jesus is with the Father. And I realize how difficult it is for me sometimes to be honest with God. And I suspect you find it difficult sometimes to be honest with God. I'm not sure exactly why that is. I have some theories. I think maybe because sometimes it feels like it's not very spiritual to tell God we're struggling. We really don't want to do what he wants us to do. We don't like what he has done or we don't like what he hasn't done. It's hard for us to be honest with God because it feels like we're not being spiritual enough. We ought to just take it and let it go. Accept it and be done with it. Don't be honest with God. But the reality is we're wrestling with it. We're struggling with it. And the answer isn't to pretend that we're not. It's to be honest about it. You know, it's sort of the idea that if we don't say it out loud, then God doesn't know we're thinking it. He does. He knows our hearts. Saying it out loud is simply giving us the freedom to be honest with God about it instead of acting like we can pretend and he won't know. It's not a sin. It's not less spiritual to be honest with God. In fact, it is the beginning of the journey to maturity with God. 
Think about every 12-step program, all the way through it, there, is, there are steps of honesty. And it, but it begins right up front by being honest about the problem that we're going through. And until we're honest about the problem, nothing else of positive is going to happen. Nothing, nothing good is going to take place until we first acknowledge we have a problem. We have difficulty. We're struggling. And we need help. Secrecy, hiding things, is not one of the spiritual gifts. In fact, it is a tool of the evil one to hold us in bondage, to keep us chained, because he'll tell us, look, you need to keep that secret, because if God found out, who boy, you'd be in big trouble. And if anybody else found out, forget it. And that secrecy holds us in bondage. Paul writes, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom, to be honest. It is in honest, being honest with God that we begin to be set free. And that means we tell God what we're thinking, even if it doesn't sound very spiritual. Someone was saying to me the other day that sometimes they feel like they have to... They, They they need to tell God they forgive him. Not ask God to forgive them, but tell God, I forgive you. He says, is that okay? Because it doesn't sound very spiritual. And I said, yes, it's okay. Not because God has actually done something that he needs to be forgiven of, but because we need to say it. It's a part of the process of us working through it, of saying, God, I'm, I'm not happy with what you've done. I don't understand it. I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm, I'm, I'm upset. And a part of coming to grips with God's perfect will is to say, I forgive you for not doing what I want you to do. It's really for us, not for him. But sometimes we need to just say it. We seem to be honest about it because we're not gaining anything by pretending Keeping things secret. That's going to mean that as the body, as a body of believers, as the church, we need to do a better job of encouraging, creating an environment where we can be honest with God and with each other. And sometimes the church isn't very good at that. And this ought to be the one place, the church ought to be the one place where we can be honest with each other and honest with God. And that's encouraged. Unfortunately, often it's discouraged. People stand up in a, in a gathering and they start praying to God about their struggles. We start getting really uncomfortable. Wow, I thought they were more spiritual than that. We ought to be saying, man... They have such a good relationship with God, they can be that honest and that transparent with him. And we create an atmosphere where we give each other permission and freedom to be honest with God and with each other as we pray. Years ago when I was in seminary, I was... There was a revival service going on in the the local church there where I was attending and... 
it was a it was a holiness emphasis and and the gentleman preaching i don't remember who it was was talking about you know the need for holiness and and then the power of holiness in our lives and and it was sort of a series of things but before he started we had just sung right before he got up to preach the hymn come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing his praise and there is a line in the third verse of that hymn that says Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And he spent the first five or so minutes of his sermon railing against those words in that song. And saying, what kind of Christians are we if we are prone to wander? If we're prone to leave the God that we love? That's horrible. We shouldn't be saying that. We ought to be past that. We, 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 shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be living that way. That's terrible. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, he's right. That is terrible. But the more I've thought about it, I've thought, no, he's wrong. Because that's being honest. Do we want to get to the place where we are less prone to wander? Less apt to leave the God we love? Of course, that's that's what we're working toward. But the way to get there is not to deny our struggle with sin. It's to acknowledge it. I mean, John says... John doesn't say, if you hide your sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive your sins. He says, you confess your sins. That's what starts things going, is saying, I need help. Here it is. I'm struggling. I'm wrestling. I'm, I'm upset with you, God. I'm, I'm really dealing with things here, emotions toward you. And, and I want you to, to do something different. And I'm wrestling with you. It's that honesty that begins to break the chains of sin and set us free. Now, granted, there are, there's wisdom about how we pray these words of confession to or among other people. You know, it's not usually best to do it in a large group of people, which is why we have small groups, prayer groups, and Bible study groups, and why we meet with accountability partners. We all ought to have some place where we can be honest with another person because it's helpful. As we, it's great to pray on our own, but sometimes we need other people to hear our prayers and to support us, encourage us. And there's just something powerful about, about saying the truth about what we're wrestling with in front of another person. It's one of the reasons why we, we pray a prayer of confession every week. And I suspect there are some weeks where the prayer we pray, you're thinking, I don't really wrestle with that, but other people are. Another week you're saying, I'm not sure I can pray this because that hits too close to home. But the reality is we're all wrestling with stuff. And the answer is not to hide it or to pretend, it's to be honest. And to be willing to get it out there. And we use some wisdom. I mean, Jesus didn't take all the disciples into this inner place and hear this most intimate of prayers. He just had those closest to him. And John tells us that there is a moment in time where Jesus doesn't tell the crowd of people everything he's thinking. Because he knows, he says, he knows, he knows what's in the hearts of human beings. And you have to be careful about how much you trust them. And so there is a place for wisdom in how, we, in how we share honestly with people. But there ought to be someone, some group of people that we can do that with. 
And it's not a sign of spiritual weakness. It's a sign of spiritual strength. Because at the heart of honest prayer is inherent trust in our loving Abba Father. We believe that God loves us so much that even when we are honest with him, he's not going to reject us. He loves us so much. He is such a a devoted father to us, perfect father, that even when we let him know of our struggles and our frustrations and, and even being angry at him, he doesn't turn from us and reject us. He helps us. He embraces us. Because that's what you do in a loving relationship. Think about if you have children or people who are close to you. you know, even when they, when they tell you things that you'd rather not hear. If you really have a loving relationship, you don't give up on each other. It actually has the potential to bond you even closer. See, I think sometimes we are, more, more, we are so concerned about our destination, about getting to the end, that we forget that being a follower of Jesus is at least as much, if not more, about the journey than it is the end. Because the journey is about relationship. If all we're focused on is the end, then life with God becomes a checklist. We're just checking off the stuff every day and that's all we're worried about. And that so quickly becomes legalism. It's all about meeting the rules. It's all about following the guidelines. It's all about just measuring up. And as long as we do that, the relationship really doesn't matter. We're just doing what we're supposed to do because we're getting to the end. And quite frankly, when that's our goal, we tend to overlook how we treat people, how we use people. And whether we realize it or not, we so easily slip into the end justifies the means. But when our focus is on the journey, then it's about relationship. It's about being loved by God and loving God and loving others. And it's the day-to-day, the moment-by-moment relationship of the journey that absorbs our attention. And what's so fascinating is that when we live that way, when we're focused on the day-to-day journey, the end takes care of itself. And our focus is about walking with God every moment. It's about building relationship with God every moment instead of a checklist that somehow gets us to an end that's our focus and our goal. And all of that's rooted in an understanding of God's unconditional fatherhood, his love. Jesus begins his prayer saying, Abba, Father, And that is the heart of honest prayer. If we don't really believe that God loves us unconditionally, we won't pray 
honest prayers. If we don't really believe that God is for us unconditionally, we'll continue to pretend and hold back and quite frankly, live in bondage. It is the reality of God's unconditional love that gives us the freedom to be honest that sets us free. To live. To live as he created us to live. I keep going back to what Luke and Matthew both record in their Gospels. When Jesus says to his disciples, he's talking to them about prayer. And he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children who disappoint you, who frustrate you, who bring grief to you sometimes, if you know how to be good to them, how much more, how much more your Father in heaven How much more your Father in heaven? And to paraphrase that, if we wouldn't reject our children for being honest with us, how much more our loving, heavenly Abba Father? Obviously, I have no idea what your honest prayer might be if you were to pray it today. But you know. You know what you've been holding back. You know what you've been prompted to say to God but have been hesitant to. In this moment of silence that we're going to take, I want to encourage you to pray that prayer. Father, thank you for your unconditional love. Thank you for wanting relationship with us so much that you give us the freedom to be honest with you, to tell you what's in our hearts. And out of that, to experience in deeper ways your great love for us. Give us grace and courage to be honest with you and to find in that honest relationship the freedom of your spirit each day. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen.
Please stand with me for the closing song. the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.